All right, welcome to the Deer Vein Podcast, everybody. Today we're talking uh, ridge hunting for whitetails, so ridges and valleys, uh, southwest, west, and kind of like northwest Wisconsin, um, you know, eastern Minnesota, eastern Iowa, a lot of the parts around the Mississippi River, just lots of ridges, lots of valleys, and it uh, seems like there's a lot of deer in there because they can hide very easily and get away from a lot of people that way. So uh, I got on, line, on the line with me, Parker Wash, who is a good buddy of mine. He's been on the podcast a few times. He hunts a lot of ridges and valleys. So today, that's what we're covering. Um, so first of all, first thing I want to start with is actually an archery thing. Um, Parker, you gave me those .01 pins. Yeah. Those things were a pain in the ass to put on. Were they really? <laughs> Do they yeah, wrap around well, the, first, the scope housing or? No, like for, well, first of all, like genetically I've been, uh, ungifted with really sweaty hands. So <laughs> yeah. when I'm, when I'm working with like fine, like very small, fine things, yeah. i.e. like sight pins and very, very small screws and small Allen wrenches, yeah, yeah. uh, like it's like trying to hold a screw when your hands are covered in water or soap so it wasn't it wasn't easy uh, oh um, i eventually got it. it took me 45 minutes to put three pins on. really well you I got them kept... though huh? yeah 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 yep yeah, i got them so and for anybody wondering most sites what do they come with parker a 0.019 is that one nine is is pretty common now oh two nine used to be kind of the common one back in the day but i think now with just how bright the pins are they're getting smaller and smaller just to block the target less okay yeah so that's like i know you asked me right away like why do you want 0.01s mm-hmm. and uh really for me it was just because i had bought a bow previously and they had those on there so i was just like accustomed to that yeah but also the big reason is because i've noticed after whatever i had that previous bow all the sight pins were green and now this new bow or the new sight that i have is you know green red and yellow like usual but i've noticed that like i do not see that red pin very well and the yellow pin is just like slightly better than the red but i see that green clear as day all the time yeah that's actually i mean that's super common the greens usually stick out a little better and they you know in low light they typically last a little bit longer i'd say Oh, kind really? The, the last one to lose visibility for whatever reason. Huh. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So but... green is actually a really good uh, good route to go. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I bought three <laughs> three green pins. So I don't have any, you know, disc, like, people pick their pins based on color. I don't have that at all. All three are green now, which is yeah. fine. You know, for me, it's, like, pretty much 20, 30, 40 is what I'm shooting at, right. you know. And for this... Um, Oh, another cool thing we got coming up. Parker's actually joining me in Bowfest, which oh, yeah. is um, a pretty cool thing. They're still having it this year, which is awesome. I'm glad that's not getting shut down via COVID. It's just, it's outdoors. You're in small groups. And I, I'm i pretty sure they're not having the concert and stuff like that. But uh, yeah. yeah, I would guess that part's going to get canceled, but that's yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, the concert. It was the Nuge, though. That would have been pretty sweet. That would have been. That I was I was actually looking forward to that getting burgers yeah. and beers and and listen to the new rock out. Yeah, at least a few <laughs> songs, right? <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, for sure. 
but uh but yeah so bow fest if you guys just google it it's uh like the world's largest archery fest or whatever that that's what they claim and it's uh it's an old or it's a ski resort that they rent out for the summer and it's three three uh courses of i believe it's 30 targets right 30 targets of course it sounds right but i want to say there was more 90 90 targets just doesn't sound right i could be wrong though <laughs> yeah um but anyway it's like it's just this giant bow fest and you can go you just sign up and and it's 100 bucks to go 100 100 additional dollars if you want to be in the money but essentially it's just an open course that you just get like, you know, like a lanyard or whatever says you paid. And then you can just run the course as many times as you want all day, every day. And I think it's four days long and there's a couple thousand people, a few thousand people that show up. So, um, should be cool. Yeah. It's up in Northern Wisconsin, just right next to superior Duluth. Um, yes, it should be, should be fun. It's still so online. It's still showing that, Justin Moore is playing on Saturday. I was gonna say I'm just I just pulled it up too. And I do yeah. see four courses. Oh, so it's okay. So yes, maybe yes. if each of those has 30 targets, it might be 120 targets. Yeah. So that's I mean it's pretty cool. Um yeah. Yeah. so I'm excited about it. It'll be a good time. And that's one of the other reasons I gotta get those pins on and I gotta keep shooting better. But uh <laughs> Yeah, it's something I didn't used to do a lot, but if I if you I would recommend it to anybody if you don't do a 3D shoot over the summer or at least like two or three, like you're missing out on a lot of just practice in general because you know you don't want to embarrass yourself, so you always practice a lot beforehand. Right. But uh, but then you also like there's a lot of pressure, you know, when you're shooting in front of your friends, it's different than just shooting by yourself. I think that pressure actually helps you in hunting scenarios as well. Just kind of yeah you know, yeah. helps you realize to, to focus and stay, you know, in tune with your, whatever your process that you do before you shoot. Right. Right. And I don't, I mean, you don't need to go anything, go to anything of this, you know, size or scale, but there's a lot of, you know, little, little archery leagues or ranges kind of scattered all across the States. It's like you do a little research, you can find a little hole in the wall place. That's usually pretty affordable too. Yeah. Yeah. Most of them are like 20 bucks for, you know, the shoot or something like that. So, yep. I mean, that's, yeah, I, I think that's fun. And it's just something that I got to do more of, but you know, the closest one to me is like 40, 30, 40 minutes. So I'm just like, ah, I'll just do this one big one and shoot in my backyard. But, uh, but anyway, let's jump into, let's jump into Ridge Hunt. Those are, those are the updates. So I got new pins on my bow and we're going to bow fest at the end of July. Um, and you can still register if you want to, but, um, but yeah, so ridges, ridges and valleys. All right. So Parker and I both have property that we hunt that are ridges and valleys. Parker's grown up hunting it pretty much his whole life. Um, I've kind of meshed in and out of hunting ridges and valleys. And, and then I mix that with swamps. But uh, this last year was really eye opening for me just because um, like there's there's a lot that goes into whether you want to hunt the top of the ridge, the midway or down in the bottom and how you enter and exit that and how you just totally approach that. So Parker, what is the, what would you say like the ideal scenario for hunting like a ridge in a valley? Would you rather hunt on top or in the valley on like, you know, halfway down a third down all the way, <clears throat> almost all the way down. 
What do you think? Ah, oh, that's that's a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing it at you, loaded. Um, you know, just out on a whim, I'd say hunt up high, just to have more consistent wind. Okay. Um. Really, that's probably the biggest contributor is just the wind. You know, between valleys and ridges in general. At least on my property, we don't have really like expansive valleys. I guess they're they're pretty tight, pretty narrow. We do have one kind of bigger one that's you know it's, it is planted corn, but for the most part, I mean they're little you know old old river bottoms or stream bottoms or whatever you want to call them. So there's maybe 30, 40, 50 yards wide, flat or low spot down in the bottom, and then it immediately starts going up on both sides for the ridges. So for me, at least where I hunt, it's, it's really difficult to hunt those bottoms and have a consistent wind. And but what if, yeah. But what if the deer are down in the bottom? Yeah. And a lot of times <laughs> they are, you know, I, I think, I think they know it. I mean, they know they're safe or they know how to play the wind at least. And sometimes you just got to go kind of just bite the bullet, roll the dice, whatever, and go for it. Okay. Yeah, I'm kind of in that same boat. Like, so in on the property that I was hunting, uh, I could only access from the south, and I'm coming from the south. I'm walking north. I'm on a ridge top. I drop down that ridge into a valley, and right when I hit that valley floor, I pretty much set up and I'm shooting the other side, the north hill side. Right. That's yep. that's pretty much like the setup that I was trying to get like to work and i probably tried one two three four six i tried six trees in that bottom to try to get like the wind right and stuff mm-hmm. and it never it was never right like i would have a northwest wind and i would get a northwest wind for five minutes then i'd get an east wind for 15 <laughs> and then i'd get a, a a south for 10 minutes and it was it was honestly just freaking brutal because yeah. my trail cameras are showing me all these deer are coming through here, like, and it's a main highway, and I'm trying to get in here, and my wind is just whipping around in this bowl. Yeah, and yeah I'm just... I know the feeling. <laughs> so then, essentially, like, what I was, I've, I've asked a lot of people about this, so it's like, okay, can I just get up, like, how can I eliminate this? Like, will an Ozonics eliminate it? Uh eliminate that that swirling and what do you you have ozonics what do you think um i think it helps i don't think it's 100 percent by any means um i've i was using it actually this past muzzleloader season my first time muzzleloader hunting and we had that standing corn food plot down in the down in the bottom of ours it's probably i don't know what is that three four acres yeah and uh I had a, you know, what you would think would be a good wind for that area, and it felt good. It was, it wasn't really blowing from the field to me, but it was kind of hitting me crossways, I guess. And I had a small buck come out, and you know, fairly early, and he was on the far side of that that plot, and I was using my Ozonics. And how far is the far side of the plot? Oh, uh, I ranged. It was like two hundred and seventy yards, something like that. Okay. And I, I had my Ozonics going, and the wind to me felt fine. 
you know, it wasn't wasn't perfectly blowing from me to him or him to me, but you know, it's kind of hitting us crossways. And he fl- all of a sudden flung his head up and was looking right at me. And I wasn't moving or anything. I was pretty tucked in there. And he just took off. <laughs> at two hundred and seventy yards. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And I didn't see a deer the rest of the night. And it was one of those perfect, I mean, brutally cold days for for muzzleloader especially. And I think I was just busted. I think my wind was somehow catching one of those bowls and kind of doing a 180, essentially, and getting Man. right back in there. And in that case, you know, like I say, assuming that's what happened is he smelled me. Um, I mean, the Ozonix didn't save me then. but Has it stuff. saved you in the past? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've had some really, really good experiences with it, actually, um, with a consistent wind again. Um, deer walking literally within 20 yards of me straight downwind and and it's you know, like a very consistent wind yeah yeah at least you know within i, I don't know 10 20 degrees right it's not sure not like it's, not it's changing 90 90 plus degrees all the time <laughs> yeah we were coming from the north now we're coming from the west yeah exactly <laughs> exactly um okay so yeah and that's like that's one of those things that i don't I mean, like, I want to try the Ozonics, but I also enjoy just, like, the chess match of playing the wind. But oh, yeah. at the same time, you know, like, if you got a hundred and... If you got a giant buck that you're, like, really looking to kill, he's got a lot of time on your property, and he's only... Mm-hmm. He's in a couple, unkill, like, pretty much unkillable areas because he plays the wind so well. Mm-hmm. That is one reason that i would go drop you know three four hundred bucks on an ozonics just to go get one deer because if if he's doing it odds are a deer has done it before him another good buck and if you can figure out that pattern then you know you might be able to kill good bucks year over year in similar areas just because they think they're safe all the time yeah for sure for sure yeah you know any Um, any little edge that it can give you at least it might not be a hundred percent it might not even be 60 percent you know but yeah it works 20 30 percent of the time that might be all it takes yeah for sure no and i like so i think like that's worth doing i personally do not do any scent control i did it for years and like i would just sweat on the way in and unless you're like perfectly buttoned up in my opinion like you're buying all the like everything's perfect and you're and yeah. completely covering your face pretty much except your eye holes. Yep. Like which I don't do like and you don't no. sweat on the way in and you have like <laughs> yeah. great entry and exit and everything like yeah. then you're fine. But I don't do that and I don't take the time to do that and I just oh, exactly. So I just play the wind. You got to be so thorough with it. Yeah, and use nose jammer. <laughs> yeah <laughs> nose jay freddy you guys who haven't tried nose jammer before i definitely uh would suggest that i have had very good success with nose jammer actually it's like an eight dollar bottle comes in like a red spray can smells like vanilla <laughs> yeah, yeah. you pretty much just like uh i spray my boots down and i'll spray some of my clothes down when i go into the woods regardless of like entry and exit route being proper or not like yep. even if I have like a perfect entry and exit route, a perfect win, perfect stand site, I'll still hit it. 
just because like that off chance that some deer comes from some really random ass area, which always seems to happen. Um, mm-hmm. you're, you're still like possibly covered, you right. know? And I have had that. I have had nose jammer work where like, literally I'm sitting in a tree. Here comes a group of does. There's a buck that I'm trying to kill behind it, behind these does. And they're going to walk past me and they're going to get in behind me, which is where my wind's going. So literally at like 40 yards, I sprayed this spray when a big gust of wind came up and I just sprayed down a bunch of my stuff real quick. And they came walking by me like within, I don't know, 10 minutes. And that lead mature doe, she eyed, she eyed me up a little bit because yeah. she came through at probably like 10, 11 yards, something like, I mean, she was like right there. And uh, she was just kind of like looking at me like, what are you? But she couldn't smell me at all. And then she got behind me and she stopped, kind of glanced at me and then just kind of licked her nose, shook her tail and just kept going. Yep. So it, I was like, holy shit, that worked. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think it would. <laughs> right, <laughs> I right. thought I was toast. No, and those are those, those are those scenarios where, like you say, maybe the buck that you're after or a buck that you know you want to you want to shoot is coming in and it's not alone right it's with other deer yeah rarely i don't know i don't know if i've ever seen you know a, a mature or larger buck come out first followed by does it's typically typically does and small bucks and then the big guys right right so it's like if you can if you can beat the first few deer if beat their nose, at least they at least gives you somewhat of a chance on the, on the one you're after. Yeah. Yeah. And probably gives him a little sense of security. Like, Oh, okay. They've yeah. made it. Like there's no issues over there. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Which one question, this is kind of off topic, but do you think Turkey decoys would work? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that question before. Just like, to give them some sort of sense of security yeah. that yeah. that oh okay there's nothing out there because turkeys are really good at like running away from danger right. as we well well know right. <laughs> yeah. yeah I I could be convinced okay I don't yeah. know I don't know the answer to that I've seen it yeah. I've seen it posed a few times on social media and with yeah. mixed reviews right. um, but then it's also like who's who's sitting there packing in turkey decoys to a stand. Yeah, that's the other thing on top of the tree stand, and yeah, right. The, the thing uh, that would make me paranoid about that, I guess, is if if a calm deer came in and the turkey decoys actually made them nervous. Oh I mean, yeah, it's, it's so much. You know, it's more scent that's out there. It is a sense of unrealism, I guess. Even though some of today's decoys are like stupid good. Yeah. Um, I don't know. No, I can see that. uh, It's just another thing to kind of freak them out, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Could go either way. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. Well, back to the, back to the wind, the wind, the wind thing. So when I was hunting that bottom and I tried out those six trees, like, like I said, my wind was just swirling like crazy and I couldn't like, even I would sit in once I literally like one day I moved trees three times in that same area to get my wind right. And it wouldn't like the wind just would not cooperate. Just like I would move 30 yards and the wind would be coming from a different direction. And it's just pretty much getting stuck in these bowls and just swirling and swirling and swirling. So, uh, 
that was always and I was always hunting it in the morning because trail camera pictures showed that morning was the best time to hunt that area. Um, sure. sure. Which actually like thinking about it, you know, like what causes the swirling is, is wind in general, um, you know, the topography, how the wind comes into that valley. And if you imagine wind like like invisible water like if you poured a bucket of water right and you pour poured it in a specific direction that's pretty much how the wind's gonna go like it takes kind of the lead the path of least resistance and just goes around and just free flows so like a valley like it's just shooting down that valley but then it catches like you know say you got a valley that's like northwest going southeast right and you got a west wind well, it's going to come over those ridges, drop down into that valley, catch in the valley, and then shoot right down it. But also, if there's enough force behind it, it can push it back up that other side a little bit. It can go and push into a little bowl and swirl around and then come out. Like, it's just, it just depends on exactly what wind, where it's coming from. Or if you have like a northwest to a southeast valley again, and the wind is perfectly northwest, it's just going to blow straight down that valley you know, you probably won't have hardly any swirling. Right. So like, that was kind of what I was trying to play out in my mind. And then I totally like excluded thermals for, I don't know what reason, like there's mm-hmm. just being stupid. So I was trying to play these out, uh, these specific winds out in this bottom, like I needed um, like in uh, a northeast or an east wind. But even when I got that, I get down into that bottom. And in the morning, right, wind is like two miles an hour, five miles an hour, yeah. you know, nothing, nothing special. So it just, it allows that slow wind, allowed it to swirl. Mm-hmm. When it would get like midday, that wind wasn't swirling at all because the wind was whipping in at like 15 miles an hour and yep. just shooting it right down this valley. Yep. It didn't yep. have, it didn't have, I'm, I would say it's probably still swirling a little bit, but not nearly what it was doing yep. when it was like five miles an hour. Yep. And that was a point I was going to kind of bring up too, is, you know, hunting, hunting a bottom when it is a super stiff wind or, you know, w- with the Ozonics, I have had better luck hunting in bottoms when it is dead calm. And I'll, yeah. point, I'll yeah. point the thing literally right at me and it seems to be okay. I mean, it's hard, hard to say for sure by the deer that you don't see. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. uh, but I've, I've had better with very calm days and very windy days versus kind of in between, you know? Okay. So yeah, I remember you telling me like, you feel like the Ozonics like puts out like a sheet or like a blanket or something like that. And if it swirls yeah. that blanket, like just kind of falls apart. Yeah. Kind of something like that. It's, well, I mean, it puts out ozone, and and I'm no professional at this by any means, but my understanding was ozone is heavy. Like, it it tends to drop down. So the thought is it kind of drops down over top of you and, like, weighs down your scent and drops it to the ground, right? Like, pretty much right at the base of your tree almost, or not far from it. Okay. That was that was my understanding. I've also heard that it just helps like dilute it, like a strictly on a you know parts per million scale. Uh, okay. Yeah. Which 
would also help, I suppose, but I don't know how, you know, I don't know the math behind a deer's nose, how many, <laughs> how many little parts per million they need to actually smell something. But, uh, but yeah. yeah, so when it's swirling, I think it has a harder time, you know, blanketing your scent the whole time. It's like, it's, it tries to keep up and can't. <laughs> and then by the yep. time, it, by the time it probably catches up to your scent, it, the wind swirls again and then it starts over, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Um, or I guess I could try. I guess I could understand that. Um, so then, what the hell? Um, sorry, I just found. I think I got one of my son's boogers stuck to me. I didn't know what the heck that was. <laughs> um, it's kind of gross. Yeah, I mean- um. Yeah, it's just rubbing my arm. I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> um, joys of being a parent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, okay, so, yeah, and, and it's not like we're sponsored for, for you guys listening. It's not like we're sponsored by Ozonics or anything. It's just, like, it is a tool that that you can go out and purchase. And a lot of people, like, always contemplate it every year. Like, I contemplate it every year, and I think about it every year. But I, I haven't purchased it yet. You obviously have. And we've talked about this before on a previous podcast. Nick has, and Nick loves it. Nick likes it a lot. Yep. Um, but uh, but I haven't made that that dive yet. The uh, the other thing, like I was saying, is is thermals. So if I had that east wind, and in the morning that ground is heating up, but it's pretty slow to like heat up. And depending on what's in the shadows and what's you know on the ridge side, what's in the sunlight like that ground heats up unevenly and and it pushes the wind around even more. So what I've come to realize is that morning hunts with wind and thermals are just much less predictable in a bottom than evening hunt or than, yeah, than evening hunts in a bottom where the land is already warm. It's been warming up all day. So you have a very consistent thermal even though in the evening, like it's cooling, the earth does not cool as fast as the air at all. So the earth still stays warm. So you still have a rising thermal pretty much most of the time until the last like 10 minutes or so. I mean, maybe 20 minutes, it varies, but you're going to have a more consistent wind in the evening and you're going to have a more consistent thermal in the evening. So if I needed that, that, you know, 10 mile, 15 mile an hour east wind with a good thermal like that's I would hunt that in the evening rather than the morning just because I'd get more consistency out of it. It might still swirl in that bowl a little bit, but at least it wouldn't be like north, then south, then east, then west, yeah. <laughs> you know, all over the place. It might just be east and then like northeast or southeast. At least it's still east. Sure. You know, and not that like, yeah, East is a hard wind to get in Wisconsin anyway, (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) um, but yeah, that was kind of like a real eye opener to me because then I hunted in the evening a couple of times and I had with the right wind and I had pretty consistent winds. Like if, and at that point it was later in the season, probably like, uh, early January and I just wasn't. I wasn't there. I mean, at that point, you know, all the deer are pretty much herded up and it's either hit or miss. Either you're going to see a bunch of them or you're going to see nothing. Yeah. You know, Um, and I just I missed on those last those last few few weeks of season. Um, But 
on the plus side, I did have consistent wins. So I was happy about that. Um, and hunting those valleys, like, yeah, man, that wind, it's just so unpredictable, but the deer like that, like those valleys because of that, you know, do you, so as far as like trails go, you know, do you notice like the deer really like trails on the bottom midway up all the way on the top diagonally across the ridges what do you like if if somebody just set put a gun to your head this is a, a meat eater question right here someone puts a gun to your head and says hey you gotta you gotta take a guesstimate on where the deer are going to be walking on this ridge yeah like where are you going to put your tree stand yeah i i personally like on you know up a little higher towards ridges um not necessarily on the top, but if your ridge kind of opens up to a field or something, um, you know, get, I'd, I'd look for those trails that are 20, 30, maybe 40 yards inside the woods. So they're still up pretty high. They're not necessarily on the highest part of that ridge. But so essentially close. like the upper third. Yeah. Yeah. That's yep. safe to see. Okay. Yeah. And I like, Cause so the, the areas that, that we hunt and it's, it's pretty similar in a lot of ag culture is like rid top ridge tops are ag. Then you got the border lines for where all like, you know, it starts to drop into the Valley, which is all wooded. And then you have the ridge going down to the Valley. And if it's big enough, you'll have, you know, uh, another field down there. But a lot mm -hmm. of times it's just a Creek bottom. And then you're shooting up the other ridge to another ridge top, which is also going to be covered in corn yep. soybeans whatever that's pretty much like yeah. a lot of iowa's that way a lot of wisconsin's that way a lot of minnesota's that way um illinois is just flat land but western <laughs> uh western illinois actually has some pretty decent yeah northwest especially yeah. what's that yeah northwest especially it's pretty you know it's kind yeah. of the same river bottom kind of stuff yep for sure so yeah those those yeah those ridges and valleys um I have found just in, in walking a lot of them, walking a lot of public, walking a lot of private, it tends to be that upper third that really seems to be used the most. And I'm not like my thought on it is because like the deer like to be up higher because it is advantageous to always hold the higher ground. Like, yeah. but at the same time, they don't want to be all the way up and like, be exposed yep. to that field yep exactly. so they kind of like hover right on that edge yeah yep yep i'd agree okay so like yeah if you're if you're going into a new piece of public like take caleb for instance right so a buddy of ours drew an iowa tag and um he's got some private to hunt but he's looking at this really nice piece of public he said it was like a jungle when he checked it out this other week and uh if I were like, and he was thinking about hunting the bottoms. Um, and I had another guy reach out to me, um, and talk about hunting the bottoms as well. And my, my biggest piece of advice for them that I, that I would start with is in those bottoms, find where the deer cross that water. So if there's a Creek in there, or even if it is like just a straight dry Creek bottom, like they're going to have, you need to find a limiting factor. Like that's the biggest piece is you need to find some sort of pinch point, some sort of funnel 
a, like a limiting factor and a Creek is a great limiting factor because the deer say your Creek's 300 yards long. The deer are generally, generally going to have like four, five, six, maybe seven crossing points on that whole Creek in that 300 yards. So like my advice to Caleb was find the biggest, uh, Creek crossing you can and drop, drop your trail cameras on that. And then like you're gonna have to backtrack that up the ridges and try to hunt those those upper ridge sides or like that upper third of that ridge because you're gonna get a more consistent wind. You're probably gonna get better travel. And if you can get above where that big creek crossing is, it'll just inc- help increase your odds. Mm-hmm. That's my thought on that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. What like yeah, I mean, so it's, just, it's like you say it's a if you need, if you're looking at a 300 yard long stretch of area to put a tree stand, you know you're not just gonna drop it randomly across there. You're gonna look for, like you say, some kind of crossing. Maybe there's a the creek's a little bit narrower in one spot. It's easier or shallower. It's easier for them to cross it. You know things like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That limiting that limiting factor. But then like. You know, I like I advised against hunting that bottom. What do you think? Like I said, I don't know if I'd hunt that bottom. Like maybe if you really want to get really uh, aggressive, go after it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I always shy away from them just because the wind. <laughs> <laughs> really, no other factor. It's just that. It's just it's tough. You know, you get busted a lot. And maybe if it was a public land hunt like he's doing, and he was only going to hunt there one day or two days he says screw it and just dives in there and if he you know if a few deer wind him he doesn't care right you know kind of how how i hunt at least that's that gets frustrating (laughs) (laughs) well yeah especially if you're on a piece of private and you're trying to like you know cultivate long-term success right right that's not (laughs) it's not a very advantageous position No. I had a, I had a buddy, I went fishing with a buddy junior the other day and he's, he said to me on the boat and he, he goes, man, I see some of your cha- Snapchats and Instagram posts and I just want to jump through that screen and strangle you. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, why are you in this deer's bedding area? And what are you trying to do by jumping him out of there and all this stuff? <laughs> yeah. And my response to him was like, Hey man, like, I don't know these areas and like it's public that I don't, I don't understand so I'm going to take the adventures and I'm going to fail and I'll yeah. learn from them. So the next year I can come back and understand, okay, don't go over there. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Cause I have like, I have fear. I have FOMO, like fear of missing out. So I always yeah. think like 30 yards further or 50 yards further is going to be better than yeah. where I am right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then once you get there, you can't go back. Cause then you just left all your seven. You know? Exactly. That's the problem. <laughs> so you go another 30. Or 40 <laughs> exactly shit this uh, wasn't as good i should go back ah but i just left all my scent in yeah, here i gotta just keep going forward keep going farther <laughs> yeah for sure i know and people are like well just try to hunt your way in and i'm like nah yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, i've I'm, tried I'm, that before <laughs> right yeah i ain't starting in the kiddie pool man i'm dump, yeah. jumping in <laughs> exactly. Exactly. um but yeah i mean like so if if i were somebody coming in and, and looking at these I would start on that upper that upper third, like yeah. uh, maybe dive into the creek bottom to find those crossings, but yeah. then work your way back out. And if like if you so if if you're just starting to plan out a hunt right now, right, 
I would just start in that. I wouldn't go down into the creek bottoms during season. If you can go down in there right now during the summer, like go for it. But there's going to be so much vegetation and so much green. Like yeah. you're probably not going to be able to distinguish a whole lot. Right. To be you're miss a lot. Yeah. You're going to miss a ton. Um, so what I would do is just wait until season starts and early. Like if you're hunting that early season, it's going to kind of suck. It's going to be a grind and it's going to kind of suck to be honest, just because like you're probably going to be hunting close to a field edge on public, which generally isn't that good. Um, and if you dive in too far, you're, you're probably, you like could mess up a hunt. You could just be going really deep and going through a ton of vegetation that you don't need to jump and deer out of bedding areas. So, I mean, hunting new pieces like that, I tend to try to wait until like mid to late October when I can actually see what's going on in there. Yeah. If it's, sure. if it's brand new. And then in September, like, you know, uh, September or early October, it's relying a ton on your previous year's scouting. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you're going in this year, I'm just trying to put myself in somebody's shoes. That's just like, Hey, I'm going to try this piece of public this year. And it, it's, you know, ridges and valleys. And I'm trying to try to get into it. I would start on the upper third yep. and just get, find where the deer are coming into that, into the fields or, or exiting into the private or something like that and work your way into the woods like i don't know 20 to 50 yards and hang out kind of in there maybe find some oaks maybe find some oaks that are producing acorns and then as season goes on you'll learn that piece more and more and you'll uh, understand the pressure that's another big piece is understanding where other people are hunting um, Parker and I like to get shot at by squirrel hunters early season. It <laughs> seems to be a, <laughs> a problem with us. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, that was pretty, that was nuts. Had some guys just sounding off shots right by us within probably 70 yards shooting oh, yeah. four tens, 20 gauges at squirrels. Uh, and they knew they were, they knew we were there too, which was just the worst part. Uh, yeah. But uh, you'll learn you'll learn how the pressure moves and how it shape how it shapes a piece for deer hunting, um, and that pressure will help you decide how far you need to go. Because you know if you can access like in Caleb's situation, he can only access from the south, and the ridge runs west to east. So there's a south ridge and a north ridge. Well, I'm sure that north ridge gets a lot less pressure than the south ridge just because. Mm-hmm everybody stops at the South Ridge, right? right? And it's entirely possible that all the activity on that South Ridge or, you know, 75% of it is nocturnal. And the deer just understand, like, don't go over there during daylight because you're probably going to get killed. Yeah. Uh, so working your way over to that North Hill side could be a huge benefit. But if you have no idea what you're doing on a new piece, it's also just kind of like going in blind and you could do a ton of work and just really be really get no results for it. And you could do a ton of work and be successful. Like mm-hmm. I tend to do a ton of work and be unsuccessful. <laughs> so, uh, but I also like, I learn a lot and that's how I break apart these properties is by, you know, I'm a type of guy that I'm not afraid to fail. I'm not afraid to bump deer. I'm not afraid to do any of that on, on public or even like my private piece because it's the only way you're going to learn. 
that was the other thing that I brought up with with Junior when I was fishing with him. I was, he was like, man, you shouldn't even go into that property, but you know, 10 times a year to go kill deer on the right days. And I was like, but I don't, how do I know where to go? And yeah. he's like, well, you learn that over time. And I'm like, well, how do you learn? How do you learn that if you're only going in there 10 times? Like yeah. I need to go in there 30, 40, 50 times in the first year to two and year one and year two. And then year three, I'll, I'll really start honing that down. Maybe I'll only go in 20 times year four, maybe only 15 times. And I really start figuring it out. But year one, like, you can't be mad at me for not understanding how a property functions. No, no, you got to learn know? it the hard way, usually. Yeah, I mean, just spending time out there. And trail cameras tell you a lot, but they can only they don't tell you everything. Yeah. No, exactly. You know, it, you know what you're going to see will tell you more than what a trail camera will every single time. And, sure. it's, and, and bumping deer. Like, that's another thing is, like, sometimes you bump deer and they'll run. And then they'll stop and they might lay back down. They might just kind of be like, oh, I don't know what you're doing. Like, but I'm just going to kind of walk away this way. And deer always run to safety. So you mm-hmm. can, you can kind of tell where they're heading. Mm-hmm. And if you know the, if you learn the property, you can tell what they think is safe, which is another like great thing to know. Like deer think this is the safest area of this piece of public, this piece of private deer head this way. And a lot of times on the public, it is just the nastiest, like (laughs) worst spot on the property. And that's where they head. But it's also, again, the safest, safest. And once you learn that you can hunt outside of that safe zone and become, you know, more productive. You can see more deer. That's how I've been able to pick apart all this stuff by my house is by bumping deer and then figuring out where their safe zones are, which are like two to three acre pieces that are kind of like really thick swamp area. And I can hunt around that. And once I started doing that, I got a, I was seeing a lot more deer every sit. Like I was averaging like four or five deer a sit at one point over the course of a month. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just seeing a ton of deer on public. And I had friends come out with me and they were like, I didn't think you could see this many deer on public. <laughs> Shit, Mark saw, Mark saw like 12 12 deer in one night yeah you know nice. ended up shooting a, a fawn but he saw <laughs> he saw 12 yeah. um out on public on a decent on a decent little spot so right, right. that's was, the thing with a lot of that public is like there's quite a bit of it at least you know in wisconsin and especially where you're at it's like you know there's what thousands of acres over by you so I yeah mean, six <laughs> it's yeah pretty, i mean like what would, you, what would you rather hunt that six thousand acres or a private 20 acres you know yeah and that uh-huh. private 20 that's acres true. that's where you got to go in you know five times a year and kill yeah Be super and to me like right? i enjoy i enjoy like the hunting i enjoy being out there and i don't want to just go in like my purpose of being out there is a little conflicting in the sense of like i want to kill the big deer but like I want to sit like 15, 20 times in a year. Like yeah. I enjoy it. You know, I don't want to go out there once and kill and be like, all right, I'm done hunting for the year. See you 2021. Like, yeah, let's go walleye fishing for the rest of the year. Like that's not so bad, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that's not, you know, that's not what I necessarily want to do. I mean, if I did that like this year, hopefully, um, you know, we can do enough effort. Parker and I joined up in the the quest hunting hunting tournament and if you listen to the uh podcast with matt spets a few episodes back i forget what it is it's probably like mid 20s 
Uh, we talked about it a lot, but so Parker and I joined up with that this year. And in theory, like hopefully, like we can do enough effort and kill, kill good bucks in the first, you know, few weeks of season, which is uh, both on both of our to-do lists, um, like something that we both wanted to do for a long time, just because they're easier to pattern, easier to get after in the early season. And then if that were to happen, you know, I'd be, I'd be trying to buy, you know, a Missouri tag or a Minnesota tag or possibly an Illinois tag, but Illinois tags are like 400 bucks and Mm -hmm. Minnesota is like 200 or 150 and same with Missouri. Hmm, So I would just rather, you know, pay less and just drive a little bit further to do that. Um, But, uh, but anyway, back to, back to the, the ridges and valley stuff like do you think there's any special way to enter and exit a ridge or valley like should you come in like and use that creek bottom to your advantage should you try to figure out how to get down in there and use that and then pop up and hunt you know a ridge side straight up from it or do you think just like staying up on top or any thoughts there uh again that's a tough one <laughs> um come on these, man i know i know you hear these guys <laughs> that that do come up with these super elaborate entry and exit routes you know they walk 500 yards when you know their their truck is parked only 100 yards away from their stand or whatever and it's like i would i would love to be able to think of that you know <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but like i look and i'm looking at, at my property on onyx right now and i'm like i don't know how the heck you do it so <laughs> i usually <laughs> just take the straight straight shot i mean minimal you know minimal scent dispersed head straight for it typically that's yeah across a ridge um you know later in the season it's a little easier once the fields are picked and whatnot but yeah. I kind of, yeah, I don't know. I oh, would my, like to say, yeah. I would love to have some just bulletproof entry and exit route, but it's tough. I mean, you can you can do that, I guess, with different stand placements, but whew, that's a whole. Yeah. That's a can of corn. I don't know. I want to open. <laughs> I don't know. I got. I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, that little food plot that I did by the dry dam. It's easier to do with like a. Oh, burger. Huh? Yeah. All right. I just got a bad connection, or Uh-oh. something. But it's fine. Uh, we'll edit that. <laughs> oh boy. Um, the uh, I was gonna say what the entry and exit route that I like to do. So when I hunted my buddy's Jake's farm. He had a south ridge and a north ridge as well. And I would I would go in on the east fence line and I would drop down into the bottom, drop up the east fence line, and then do kind of like a J hook and then go and set up where I wanted to. So like I'd always walk the very far edges of the property so that the yeah. middle so I didn't disturb anything in the middle of the property. Yep. And then I wouldn't, I wouldn't walk the field edge either. So like they had on the north, north hillside on the top was like a pasture, kind of like a ridge. 
Yep. So I'd hunt that. I'll always like to hunt that area in the morning and I'd go in, in the like pretty much pitch black and I'd try to get set up well before like first light, you know, and, and on like, and that's like first light. Everybody knows like say sunrise is seven fifteen, first light is like six 45, six 35. Like I would be set up around like six, six 15 is when I'm trying to get into that scene. So like pretty much pitch black. Yeah. And I would just, I would literally just walk through the pasture. Like yep. I wouldn't try to walk that field edge at all. I'd actually try to stay away from it and then drop straight in. And my tree stands were usually like 10 to 20 yards in from that pasture. And uh, also it helped me figure out if there were cows <laughs> out there too, because <laughs> those things can mess up a hunt so bad, so quick. Uh <laughs> Especially when they like just walk up to you and start mooing. Oh yeah, and then <laughs> all their like, buddies come. Yeah, exactly. One moves, and then five, and then fifteen, and then before you know it, you got a little standing choir there looking at exactly. you. Exactly, and you sit there and wave at them, and then they just come closer. Right, they run away and then come back, and then run away <laughs> and they come back. It's like just get the hell out of here. Yeah. Um. But, uh, but yeah, so that was my tactic for entering an exit and keeping my scent as minimal as possible. Like I'd still, you know, walking up that ridge, but as far as like the Creek bottom goes and stuff, I do like, if there's enough water, like definitely float it. Like if you can have a kayak or a canoe or something and you can float it, um, I would definitely suggest that because then you're, you know, then you're not leaving your scent at all until you get out and hopefully like you float it you pull up to wherever you're going to hunt and you want to like climb vertically straight you know so say like the hillside's 100 yards long like you would climb vertically straight up 70 yards and just hunt that hunt that right there yeah that'd probably be like my advice um but also like again back to the failure thing when you find like bedding area like if you jump deer out of a certain areas over and over again um obviously avoid those on your entry and exits right yeah (laughs) yeah that's the stuff where you you can't just get pissed and be like oh i jumped deer again it's like you got to put that in the brain and take it into consideration you know right and you like so you say like you take straight lines but you understand like and i know i know when i've walked to tree stands with you to film you you're like Hey, we got to go wider here. Like yeah. we can't go this way because the deer bet on this ridge yeah. and, uh, and we can't like, we can't go over there. We got to go around this way. Right. You kind of these, avoid them that way. Yeah. Into these spots. And that's like, that's important to know too. But again, that's something that you learn over time. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think to, to kind of continue with your, you know, you avoid walking along the field edges. Um, I do the same. And I, you know, I think that's really for two reasons. I, I feel like when deer are traveling along or in fields, a lot of times they're working those edges. So you don't want to, you know, you want to avoid your scent being dispersed there and whatnot. Sure. But also at least, you know, on, on my place and I'm sure your place, they're a lot of times bedding in that within 50 yards of that edge. So if you're clunking along, say you got a long walk and the first, you know, half of the walk, you're just bebopping along. You could be busting up deer or at least alerting them that you're there the whole, the whole walk in essentially. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, for sure. So it's like, yeah, that's like, that brings another point, And it's something that we've talked about as well is like deer betting within, you know, 50, 50 yards of a field edge mm-hmm. in their initial bed. And then they, when you catch them during daylight, a lot of times that's their like from initial bed to their main bed for the day. Sure. Right. So if you're walking in in the morning, the deer just filled up for four hours eating whatever's in that field. And if you just ate for four hours, you're going to (laughs) go lay down and just digest for a little bit. And you don't want to really want to go far, right? You eat a whole freaking pack of Oreos. You make it five steps (laughs) to your couch, right? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then afterwards, you sit on that couch for about 30, 45 minutes, and you're like, all right, I might as well go to bed. (laughs) So then you get up and you go to bed. And then, you you know, that's where you spend the next, you know, seven, eight hours sleeping. I think deer are kind of in that same boat. Like, they'll go lay down 50 yards off that edge. And some will stay there. And I know, like, plenty of times I've bumped deer off of field edges on, like, on my way out, you know, of a stand in the morning. But a lot of times that's what you're catching in that early morning travel is that from their initial bed to their primary bed for the day. Right, right. That's kind of a a theory that I've had. And Matt Spetz also confirmed that. He said he he had a few – he sees it every year. Like bucks will will move like at 8 a.m., at 9 a.m., and they'll get up from an initial bed and move to uh, a – a primary bed for the rest of the day. And he thinks it has a lot to do with, with how the wind shakes out. Yeah. Wind and thermals, right. They, right. they, might, they might have the advantage spot there, those first hour or two of daylight. But then once the thermal switch, you know, they're looking, they're looking for safety essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, I guess that's just a good point. Um, but as far as those entry and exit routes, like I'm trying to talk about this. I feel like I'm talking in circles a little bit, but I'm trying, I keep trying to bring stuff back and I'm not trying to be repetitive or anything. I'm just trying to make sure we're, we're thoroughly covering a topic yeah. here. Yeah. Um, cause you have the bedding areas that you need to be aware of and you have the food sources as well and not the egg field food sources, but you know, the actual, you know, browse and acorn food sources, apple trees, maple leaves, those food sources that the deer, you know, really like. And uh, you got to keep that in mind when you're doing entry and exit. And exit is just, I we've been talking about entry. So exit is just as important because you can't let them all know that you're in there hunting them, right? So yeah. however you get in there, like you got to be sure that you figure out how the hell to get out if the deer yeah. have cut off cut off your exit route. And yeah, sometimes sure. that's that huge, you know, five, six, seven hundred yard loop, you know, around the other way. Like yeah. shit, all the deer t- cut off my shortcut. You yeah, gotta take exactly. the long way out of here. Exactly. And if you bump them up when you're three hundred yards away from the stand, it's like, oh, whatever. Yeah, like that's not that's not nearly as big of a deal. There was I watched this dude uh Jeff Sergis, Whitetail Habitat Solutions. I'll get him on the podcast at some point in time, maybe once we get a little bit bigger. I don't know. I got to reach out to him. But uh, he had he had a customer that set up. He always hunted these field edges, and he set up a string that ran like 40 yards, 50 yards to 
a can full of washers. <laughs> when he would want to get out of the stand. He would just pull on that string and rattle the can. All the deer would run, and then he'd go get out of the stand. That's not a bad idea. Right? Yeah. He's I, like, did that. I, I did that. A, well, not that exactly, but a few times this last year, I, I hunted a lot of late season. Well, mostly because I hadn't killed a deer yet, but <laughs> it's you know the late typical late season hunt that you run out of light and there's five six ten deer out in the field that you're looking over and it's like i'm totally exposed trying to get out of the spot that i'm at like oh crap what do i do now and i would do a coyote call <laughs> with my mouth <laughs> <laughs> and you know you can't <laughs> i think one time I, I probably overdid it they weren't leaving, but the like the first time I did it, I'd let out a bark and a howl, you know, and they kind of all scattered off pretty quick. And then two or three times later, I I was I had to bark and howl probably four or five times, and then finally I think they they kind of figured something was up there. <laughs> but uh, but you know, and I've heard of guys that actually bring like the remote control coyote calls and do the same thing. They'll put it a hundred yards away from their stand that's you know on their entry and exit route and they'll sound off the coyote call when it's time to get out of the stand and kind of clear the clear a field or or anything close by you know and oh that's not a bad idea at all work out of there yeah yeah hmm um yeah so just to keep this moving forward i you know entry and exit routes are something that you have to learn over time and you'll have to like work on them based on bedding areas and deer travel routes. And that's something that you learn over time. So I, I, I would say it's the hardest aspect about it. In my, opinion. yeah. If you yeah, try I, to get I, I would proof. agree. I would agree because a lot of times you can be like, man, I need to put a tree stand here. And then you put one there and then you're like, shit, how am I going to get oh, exactly? Every time, I, every time I drop into it, I bust up you know, the whole woods. Yeah. So then that causes, so like I have that situation right now. I just did a video on it last night, which I'll release next week. Um, but it's a tree stand that I had in our bottom and, uh, I needed to, it was a great, it's a great location. Gives me all the shooting angles I want, gives me everything I want, but it's hard as hell to get entry and exit route in a perfect wind in there. Like it's, it's just not, it's a very, it's going to be a very, very rare spot to sit. And even when I do sit there, there, it's not foolproof. Like I can still mess it up with a bad swirl or a bad, like any sort of like off shoot wind, it can still like mess up. So I move the stand about 70 yards and now I can get in and out with pretty much like a ghost, like never never cross a trail a deer trail never have them know i'm there like they can come within 20 yards and so long as i have a northwest wind which is very common in wisconsin on cold fronts which is great to hunt uh like i i will be a ghost to them they'll never know i'm there because my wind will be perfect and my entry and exit's perfect and maybe that's something that people have to do a little bit more is it's not you know you need the tree stand you need the entry and exit route to be perfect. You need the tree stand to be good enough. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Right. That's yep. I like I like that because that makes a lot of sense. Like, um, yeah. yeah. 
And the hard part with, I mean, yeah, we can go on about entry and exit routes forever, right? But like the hard part is when you clear out paths to your to and from your stand to try to be quiet getting in. I mean, within a day or two days, the deer start using them. So like you <laughs> yep. you got to be you got to be kind of conscious, 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 ab- yeah, conscious about things like that. Where it's like, okay, if I if I make a new trail in this woods, or I take an existing trail and make it a highway, you know, is that it might be a good entry and exit route, but a week from now or a month from now, the deer might be using that as their primary trail, and they might not be using that during shooting hours. You never know. Yeah. So no for yeah. It's tough for sure. Um so one of the one I re I just posted on Instagram before we started this and I just said, Hey, does anybody have questions on uh ridges hunting ridges and valleys? And one of the questions I got was from actually Eric Clark, who's a good friend, um, runs the Where to Hunt podcast. If you don't listen to that one, you should check that one out. He's a good dude, has some good stuff on there. Um he asked if you hunt if you hunt the top, the middle, or the bottom of the ridge. Like that's that's like the valley. He, that's what he asked and why. And I think the, I mean, we kind of answered that. Like if you're gonna hunt it, like and you're going in blind, the upper third is kind of where most of your action's gonna reside. Probably sixty percent, sixty seventy percent likelihood is that you're gonna be up on that upper third. What about like when would you hunt in your in your eyes when would you hunt that middle section or down in the valley like what would cause you to do that mm, the rut <laughs> <laughs> just just being you know especially if it's if there is a big travel corridor you know in the middle section or there's bedding areas multiple bedding areas close by you know, you can, you can really use the, the windier advantage sometimes and uh, kind of get downwind of potentially two, you know, a couple bedding areas or a, at least a big travel corridor between those bedding areas. And that's really the only time I would drop in there. Um, you know, actually, well, then we, then you have spots like the wet pond, right? Where oh, that's, sure. it's a bowl and the low spot of that bowl is a pond and early season they're hammering that thing i mean if it's hot where that's where we're getting most of our trail camera pictures is right on the water so it's like there's a tough one where you're technically yeah. hunting in the low area if you want to catch them on the water and well, that, yeah so that ladder stand on the back side of the wet pond that's yeah. you know i would say that's like lower third of the ridge yeah. it's not right down in the flat no nope. like that nope. box blind is Right. And that is on the top end of a valley, right? So everything down the valley keeps dropping off, I guess. Sure. So it's not like it's really, really low, but it's, you know, it's definitely not the high ground for that area. No, but I mean, that would cause you to hunt that lower third is if, if there was like, say you're hunting a valley and it's got a dry creek in it, but there is one spot where the water pools up and it gives the deer a water source. Then yeah, I mean that's like early season. That'd probably be dynamite. Is if you yeah. could get in there with a good wind, and yep. you could hunt that, like yep. for sure. And I'm, I am moving some stuff around in there this year. I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna hit that pretty hard, pending we get some good camera pictures. Yeah, but, and some dry weather. 
Yeah, yeah, well, that's the next thing, right? <laughs> yeah, but I got oh, some. Sure. I got some better entry and exit routes into there, I think. The hard part is one of them. When I was shed hunting this year, I found there's like a bench right above that stand. Yeah, and I came across that bench, and it was just full of beds, <laughs> and it's literally halfway <laughs> halfway between the field edge and that stand. And I pretty much have my entry route walking right through that. <laughs> so I'm just Sorry. hoping it's not primary bedding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. And that's one of those things like, so then, then once you establish that, the next question really is that I'm going to ask myself is, is that like raghorn? Is that like spike yeah. forky and doe bedding? Yeah. Or is that like the buck bedding that I'm trying to kill? Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, every, it, every time yeah. I've hunted the wet pond and that'd be coming in from the opposite side of the valley, I've never seen deer like come from that bench, but it could be because they literally watch me walk into the valley. <laughs> so it's <laughs> like, it's so hard to say, you know, when you don't see the deer, it's like, was there no deer here or what, did they just bust me before I even was set up, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Who Right. That's one of those things. Cause they could sneak out of there without you ever even knowing. Oh but yeah. They, we'll they just watch you walk in and uh, yeah, we're out. See ya. Yep. 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 You can get in now. They're pretty quiet. Yeah. So that would be the only time you're kind of hunting the bottom. The bottom is yeah. for, for a water source or, you know, if there's just a really good travel route during the rut. Trail route, or if you got some food source, you know, and if it and that that particular spot can be a pretty consistent wind, like I say, it's at the end of that valley, so it's not sure. crazy swirling like down in the bottom, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, if you could get a consistent wind and some kind of like you say, either an attraction or heavy, heavy travel corridor, that's sure. when I'd hunt, that's when I'd hunt the bottoms. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I don't have a whole lot to add to that. That seems to, that seems to fall right in line or maybe like if it was like pre-rut and there's a hell of a scrape down in there and it's just getting pounded. Right. Like that would be, that would be another one, but that would fall into line with your attractant theory. Right. Like if there's an attractant or a reason to move down there, then yeah. But otherwise, you wouldn't hunt there just just because like there'd be yeah. a very specific reason yep yep exactly otherwise it's mainly the upper third yep yeah um okay uh i don't like i'm just trying to think of anything anything else on the uh on the ridges and valleys topic you know um acorns big oaks you know, generally big oaks, some of them grow on, on hillsides, but a lot of them are on the tops or actually in the bottoms, like flat land, because big oaks don't really get big on, on sloped hillsides because they tip over, right? They just get too big for the ground. Um, a lot of times do you, do you like, I don't know, you're the tree man. Your dad does all the tree stuff. <laughs> That's what I kind of, I've kind of noticed is like, if if something's dropping acorns, it's generally closer to the top of the ridge. Yeah. Than, like yep. in the, sometimes it's in the middle, but generally it's on the top, which is where mm-hmm. you're gonna get a lot of deer coming out eating those acorns before they head to the egg fields. Yep. Yep. I'd yep. say top top maybe even less than top third. You know, maybe the top twenty percent of the ridge. 
And a lot of times you'll find that those, like, I know you know this, Parker, we've talked about it plenty of times, is like just out of eyesight of the field edge, there will be a trail. Yeah. Like almost every time. Right, or you find like, find some low spot and there's a big crossing there or whatever. Yeah. I mean when I'm going when I'm coming into a spot like a new piece of public and it's it's a ridge into a valley, I'm walking out of that ag field and I'm just going straight in to the property, uh straight into the woods, and I'm going 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 yards just looking for that trail. Cause I know it's gonna I'm like very, very certain it's gonna be there like 90% and I'm just looking for it. And then once I hit it, then I'll follow it until it comes into contact with another trail. That's very likely diagonal. It's very, it's generally very uncommon for deer to run straight up and down the hill. Almost all the trails going along a hillside are diagonal. Yep. Right. Yeah. I'd say, I mean, things get a little different in the late season just with less and less food sources you know they'll make more direct routes but i'd say 90 you know 75 percent of your hunting or more that's kind of out of the picture i'd say yeah so i you know i'm always looking for i guess i'm looking for that that route that parallels the food that egg field and when it comes into contact with with a diagonal trail coming up from the bottom like that's that's what I'm looking for. And that's where I'm going to set my stand or that's where I'm going to set my trail camera. And if you can find that where it also intersects like some good oaks with some acorns or an apple tree or some sort of like, you know, brow, like thick vegetation, like yeah. that's, that's generally what, what you're looking for. And that's, and if you can find it where like, you know, maybe the upper third of the ridge is pretty clean. Like you get into the woods yeah. And it's, it's nice and clean. Like you can get up and you can shoot 30 yards in there. And then as you move down that ridge, your visibility just like shrinks. And now you can only get to like 10 yards when you're up there in a tree shooting. The ideal scenario for you then would be to set up right kind of on that edge where you're only, where like below you, you can only shoot 15 yards, but above you, you can shoot, you know, 30 yards back to that field edge or something yeah. like that. Like yeah, those like go ahead. I'd like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So like those, those are the subtle like vegetation transition lines yeah. that a lot of people miss. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I, I don't know, like it's something you, you learn a lot over time, but those vegetation transitions from agriculture to woods from from clean open woods to heavy thick vegetation, from heavy thick vegetation to valley floor with it, which has a creek, and then back to thick vegetation, and then back to open clean woods. Those like intersections are the likely spots where you're going to find deer. Yeah, it's right, and that's why hunting like a big woods is so hard. Yeah, right. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, that is like a big, uh, and it's, it's something that I really want to try. I want to head up to like Nicolay national forest and stuff just to like be, be, uh, be beaten. You should go up to to Shetlock sometime. 
Yeah, yeah. It's so it's bizarre. I mean, your your real only cover is small terrain change. You know, there's all these little ups and downs in the big woods. You know, as it's 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 kind of a big ridge essentially, but it's just full of these small little ups and downs. And other than that, it's just wide open oaks. It's yeah, kind of, it's like it's bizarre. Yeah, there's <laughs> for, no for me at least. <laughs> no, it it is, and it's and it's true. And like um. There's a guy named, I think it's Bo, I'm going to butcher his name, but it's Bo Martonic or Bo something. And he does a lot of Big Woods podcasts. And um, it's like called the East Meets West podcast. And uh, and I find I find that, that type of stuff fascinating because that is the stuff like when you actually learn it and when you can figure it out you have a huge advantage in experience and time over other hunters because it could be the smallest terrain change that holds the deer. It's kind of like, honestly, like fishing, fishing bago. Like there's very, very little (laughs) depth change. And once you find those little tiny pockets, like then you're in and that's, that's where experience comes into in hand. Um, Whereas like if you're fishing, you know, I don't know, Wabisa, like it's pretty obvious. Yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. like, okay, go to these points and go to these drop-offs and this is where you're going to fish. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. Um which is yeah, similar to deer hunting in the sense of yeah, find those terrain changes, find those different features especially within, you know, the t- topographic changes but also the biological changes. <laughs> and if you can find a good mix of those, that's where you'll find a lot of deer. Um but yeah, no, I mean, I think we kind of covered a, a lot of that. Um, yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to touch on? Anything else that you thought was important enough to discuss? Um, not related to the topic. <laughs> oh yeah, what else? What else? We go through we go through a lot of rabbit holes and I think of things, but that's for another. <laughs> <time>. <laughs> okay, yeah, I mean, I guess I could maybe have you on again. <laughs> i'll just i'll email you my ideas and you can bring them up somewhere <laughs> <laughs> sure sure you'll hear them on other podcasts and just get pissed yeah <laughs> um all right well yeah no i mean i think that's that kind of covers it if you guys have any questions or anything on hunting ridges and valleys and all that kind of stuff um please feel free to to send them over we didn't cover anything on bedding areas um, we kind of touched on that bench with bedding, but, uh, as far as bedding goes on ridges and valleys, like deer also bed in that upper third, like that seems to be where they, they like to be because they can smell everything coming off that field edge and they can see everything down below them. That's generally how they like to be positioned. Um, right. I mean, is that, yeah, I'd say that's a pretty very common rule of thumb that I tend to follow at least. Yeah. There was one, there was one thing you were telling me the other, I think like last year you were saying, man, the only time the deer ever come into like, I forget. I'm so I, I can't remember the name for the life of me right now, but it's not the, it's what's it's closer to the cabin from the wet pond. You and I sat in it once. Um, it's a dry dam. 
Nah, it's in between the dry dam and the wet pond. It's called like it's not oh, the toe. Popple Point. Popple Point. Yeah. <laughs> so you were saying in Popple Point, they own you get big buck pictures on winds that are 20 miles an hour or greater, and they have to be from some direction. Yeah, yeah. No, that was actually the wet pond or that whole hillside, I guess, along from the wet pond to the pig pond. Yeah. It was stiff south winds. When I look up in the in the weather history or whatever, it was always a stiff south wind. And then it was like, boom, shooter, 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 shooter. It's like, whoa, okay. Right. <laughs> take There's note of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's that... also, it's, I mean, it's perfect for them because you can't get in there. Because, I mean, unless you did one of those 500-yard <laughs> or farther you know walk all the way around and come in from the north but yeah that would yeah be maybe that's maybe that's how it has to be you something know to play with yeah for sure yeah um but <laughs> anyway guys yeah that's that's kind of ridges and valleys and you know if it is your first season hunting hunting a ridge and valley you're just gonna have to really like hunt your way and start start early and uh bring a bring a thermocell and just work your way in um and try that far hillside try the harder to get to spots um on cold fronts on good strong wind days and also if you know rain and wind are coming like strong winds strong rains don't be afraid to jump in because that'll wipe all a lot of your scent away so get in there before that you know, do whatever you feel like doing, especially on public, like use it as kind of like a playground for yourself. Jump in there, let that wind, let that rain wash everything away and uh, and then learn from it and then come back in there and hunt that, you know, three, four, five, six days later, whatever it is. Um, but uh, but yeah, if you can't like if that's your first year in, just hunt your way in. And then as when as the season goes on get in there in January, February, March, April, and figure out that piece, spend hours and hours and hours walking that and learning it. So that next year, early season, you know, where you need to be, when you need to be there and what trees to set up in. And don't just like pick general areas, pick exact trees and, and then go sit them. Because if you pick a general area in March and you go back in September, it's going to look totally different. <laughs> And you won't have a clue as to where every, anything is. So uh, that's it. That's all I got for, that's all Parker and I got for today. Uh, again, any questions, anything like that, you know, be sure to hit us up. Find us on, find us on Instagram or Facebook. Parker doesn't use either of those things because he's just kind of technologically hey, I, I like. Book. What's that? You use I the use Facebook? The oh, yeah. All right. So Parker creeps on the book. Um, <laughs> uh and uh congrats to parker on a brand new baby girl she is well not super brand new she's a month a month yeah, old a little month and a half yeah yep little poop shooter oh yeah <laughs> big time uh all right guys catch you later all right thanks for having me yep